Hello, everybody uh, on the video land. I'm Andrew Ward, and today I'm joined with uh, Rowan Clark and Christoph Burr. Uh, Christoph is one of our uh, soon-to-be members of Regen Farmers Mutual, and I've invited Christoph to share his story with us all today because from what I've heard, and it's just the tip of the iceberg, it will be of interest to many of the people who are involved with Regen Farmers Mutual. So welcome, Christoph, and hello. How are you? Hello. Very good. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Now, Christoph, I reckon um, you've got one of the most uh, outstanding accents. It's French, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Long, long time ago, but I guess you'll never, you'll never lose that. Um, I came here, what, 25 years ago now? So. I'd love to hear your background. So what does a Frenchman uh, who 35 years later ends up being a leading regenerative uh, farmer and, and uh, you know, how does that story come about? <laughs> That's a, it's actually a good question. A question that uh, everybody's surprised that, you know, I was living in Paris and having a good life and best place in the world, I, I still reckon, but it's... Um, Australia is the best place in the world to live, so it's the only answer. Um, and being a being a farmer by tradition, my family has been in farming um, sheep, but uh, farming all for generations and generations. So put two and two together, and being a cattle farmer in Australia, there you go. And it's more than just a cattle farmer because you've got other business interests outside of um, traditional you know, growing out heifers. Do you want to talk to us a bit about um, the world of Christoph? Like, what does a day in your life look like? <laughs> I've been, um, in addition to being an, uh, an, I usually say cattle and carbon farmer, because to me it's, it's equal um, interest. Um, uh, so that's, that, that's, as I said, by family tradition, by taste. But I'm also uh, an advisor. I've been a consultant in, in corporate life for many, many years as well. Um, and I think the advising side of what I do is mostly to help others share experience um, and try to shift the needle on, 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 on environmental um, topics. So it fits very well, I think, with the, with the goals of the, of the mutual. Absolutely. I guess maybe for now, we're going to come uh, and definitely look at your consulting experience, but I want people to understand uh, the cattle enterprise and your farming enterprise. So where are you in the world and, and uh, you know, how many head are you running and what it, what's your farm look like for those that can't uh, be there or haven't met you? Yeah. Um, it's small, 750 hectares. Um, heads vary enormously depending on, depending on the market and, you know, whether we're doing, we're focusing more on breeding or fattening cattle, but it varies between, you know, say 100 and 150 heads. So very, very small, um, very, very small operation. It's in the Mary Burnett area, also known as Fraser Coast. Um, about halfway between Maryborough and Bigenden, for those who know. So say 40 kilometers inland. Um, Burnett region is interesting because it, it changes very much from the coastal areas where you have a lot more rainfall and it gets drier in the interior and shifts therefore from, you know, a lot of cropping around Bundaberg, et cetera, cane cropping in Maryborough, of course. Um, and then it gets drier and more extensive cattle farming um, towards Gainda and on the inland. Excellent. And um, uh, how, how do you run your cattle operation? So are you doing time-controlled grazing? Are you doing any pasture improvement? What are the sorts of typical activities on your farm? Good question. We've been quite conservative in because we started getting um, not concerned, but getting um, into sustainability quite a long time ago. About ten years ago, we were starting to think about, yeah, that's good cattle farming, excellent, but you know, what does it do to the planet? Um, and now it seems commonplace, but ten years ago it wasn't that common actually. Um, so we started thinking about that. 
the result on your question is that we've been quite conservative in terms of what we chose to clear. Um, chemicals we use, uh, fertilizer we use, improving pasture or not. So we're trying to stay as native as possible, as little fertilizer as we can. And if it wasn't for ticks, we'd be organic. Um, actually, so we're grass-fed certified, of course. Um, but, uh, so that, that's a farm. A lot of timbered area uh, on purpose. Um, we've cleared a lot because we have to, as every cattle farmer know, you can't grow uh, cows on trees, um, literally. Although, um, but that's where we are. So very natural, native-looking place uh, on purpose. That said, we haven't gone into, and I'll come back to that, that's something that we're just about to start. Actually, we haven't gone into, apart from carbon, we haven't gone into any rot heavy rotational grazing or you know, changing infrastructure or trying to improve pastures for soil carbon, etc. So it's pretty much native place, untouched as much as possible, um, with happy cattle on it. Wonderful. Well, that I guess brings me to the to the the interesting part. So, within your community, you're already um, referred to me as as a bit of a leader in this space. So, wh wh what are these leadership um, practices that, and how do they differ from what people are doing in your region? Um, I it's hard to say because practices. And even at the small, medium um, end, are very, very, very different, right? Um, and you've got, dare I say, you know, very, very overgrazed property that are eroding at the rate of knots, um, and people that are doing the the right thing. I guess what distinguishes from others, and I've I spent a lot of time talking to my peers and groups, and to uh, what it means to be a carbon farmer because we started so long ago. Um, so I guess that's what differentiates us is the way we look at in the, how hard we've gone trying to develop the carbon, the carbon farming side of the business and trying to help others do the same. Um, when I said that, um, uh, you know, practices are very different. I don't think it's shifting a lot now, but I don't think for a long time people were looking at carbon farming as a business proposition. A lot of people were looking at it as, oh, it, it'd be great for the planet and I'll do that on the side or it's a supplementary revenue. But I think given the carbon prices now, we can push it to the fact that it actually is a business. You know, at $50, $50 a ton at the moment, it is a very, very valuable business on the land for in a lot of places, not in, not in every places. If you've got lush flats, yeah, no, that's for cattle. But in many, many places, it's a really good business decision. Good for the planet, good for you. So, yeah, but I guess that's where that's what differentiates us. And Christoph, for those and myself included, the, if you could describe, uh, I think you've done more than one transaction, but a transaction that you've done on your place so that those people who are listening can understand, oh, were you avoiding a deforestation or were you planting trees were they natives or were they selected species and you know have you been able to selectively harvest and and what are the sort of management practices that come out of um all of that yeah so the main ones that we've done and i've i've, I've actually helping others to do the same is avoided clearing um, so we've done avoided clearing. We've done one on nitrate supplements, um, which interestingly didn't work. Um, and we've done two on soil carbon. Um, so avoided clearing is basically making a business decision whether we, you should clear an area of land and put cattle on it or keep it to carbon farm. Um, uh, that's the one that's, um, uh, is I think the most accessible because it's almost no cost to do. It's not easy. I'll come back to that. Um, but it's almost no cost to do. And then the second, probably most frequent that I've seen, and then we've done two of here is soil carbon. 
So that involves, that will involve uh, also changing your, our grazing practices, putting some infrastructure, uh, rejuvenating pasture um, to try to further improve uh, our soil carbon and the sustainability benefits that come with that, which is we're in a um, barrier reef catchment, by the way. So for us, sediment erosion is very important because that goes straight to the reef, um, which is not good. So plantings, rotational grazing will have an impact as well on that. Uh, awesome. So we haven't, nitrate and... What we haven't done is plant, plant sorry. Yeah, sorry, well, I would say what we haven't done is anything which is planting planting related. Reason being that um, it'll be very hard to grow anything else but native trees here, um, and it'll be very it would be very costly. But that's very very localized. There's plenty of other places where it would be a great thing to do, but not for us. Yep. Okay. And, and may I ask about that, that you just alluded to, you know, the soil carbon benefit is one, but the erosion and the nitrate um, leakage onto the reef is another benefit. Um, when you mentioned before, and I don't want to dwell on a failure, but just to help me understand, what, what did it work when you went for the nitrate um, supplements transaction? Because that seems to me, you know, if you're, improving ground cover and reducing erosion you're going to reduce the amount of nitrates getting out onto the reef and it's quite a uh, a logic flow so yeah if you could talk me through that that'd be interesting yes the nitrates one was actually not not agricultural nitrate but um, feeding supplements to cattle based on nitrates to reduce their methane emission um and the reason it didn't work, we, oh, we started that, I don't know, that was six years ago, maybe, long time ago. That was the first carbon project that we um, that we started because the obvious thing with, with reducing carbon on a cattle farm is the methane, right? Um, it didn't work simply because it wasn't a, a failure. It was just, a, how, would I, how would I put it? Well, it was a failure because it didn't work, but it was simply meant that the, the, the nitrate supplements never made it to the market in scale. Um, I don't know whether they were non-economical to um, be fiddly to give to cattle. You can very easily overdose, overdose the supplements. So it was not a great idea to start with, I suppose. Um, and that's why we just stopped doing it. But right. I'm looking forward to, to the other supplements, you know, the algae base and everything that's popping up now to reduce methane that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential in those seaweed and other, yeah. So thank you um, and, and showing my ignorance there, I'd assume that that was nitrate um, pollution going out onto the reef as opposed to methane emissions, but okay. Um, uh, Rowan, I invite you to explore any questions you might have with Christoph around the transaction if, if you've got any. I was kind of curious, Christoph, actually, whether um, you had any views on some of the um, possible um, funding that could be emerging under either the, either the Labor or the Liberals, but like I noticed the Liberals were um, suggesting there was a money coming up your way under the Great Barrier Reef kind of so protected. Do you have any thoughts on that? Good. Yes, good. <laughs> is it is there somewhere it should like? No, that's a lot. That's a lot. I have no idea what funding. Is. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I guess I was coming more from the perspective of where would you like to see it? Where where would it best be spent from your perspective? If, if we are talking about right. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I I, <laughs> I absolutely should. Um, uh, no grants and stuff like that because it's actually. Um, I'll respond to that question directly. It's actually something that uh, the Queensland government is doing a lot of helping as far is helping farmers a lot and in the right places. Um, but to answer your question, there's a lot more to do because 
all those things are actually quite expensive to do, even even in, on a small scale. And it's important, I think, that there is um, subsidy to help people start. Oh, that's a pity. I think uh, transmission just got lost with Christoph, but it, he was making some really good points there. I'm sure Christoph will come back. But while we're waiting for him, Rowan, what a fascinating fellow. <laughs> you know, why are you no longer in France, this romantic version that we all have of Paris? And he's like, yeah, no, because Australia is the best country in the world. <laughs> good to hear. I could live in Paris. I could live in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Mary bro wins. <laughs> <laughs> From Paris to Maryborough. Hello, Christoph. Can you hear us? You're on mute if you can hear us. I think you need okay, to. now we lost you for a little bit. So thank uh, you. No, I'm not on mute. I can hear you. Can you hear me now? We can hear you too, but on our my screen Sylvie? got you on mute. So. We've lost oh, okay. Strange. We've lost video. Just a second. The internet's playing up a little we early. The internet's playing up a oh, the internet's playing up a little bit. I'll I'll just check something. Go and feed the hamster. It, happen it happens in Melbourne CBD as well, don't worry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to kind of just understand where, where the opportunities might be to kind of help direct, you know, that, that this, this um, if, if governments are thinking about, well, okay, how do we support this? How do we support the Barrier Reef? It, like, it'd, be, it'd be good for us to understand where the opportunities are. Um, uh, Chris, uh, welcome back. Can you? I had lost you again, so I missed the beginning of that sentence. Sorry, Rowan. Yes. The internet was playing up a bit. Should be okay now. Yes, Ryan, sorry, I missed the beginning of your sentence. Yeah, yep, so, so like it's... Oh, where is the best directed GBR? Yeah. Um, um, I think um, what I'm seeing is it is very hard for someone not completely across uh, biodiversity erosion, sediment capture, um, you know, uh, environmental accounting to actually start a project with GBR benefits. Um, so I think that because you have to go into, you know, how do, do you measure the, the, the co-benefits, etc. So I think subsidies to help people get into that maybe I don't know what is it is. Is it an advice? An advice? Um, uh, an advisory support, or more agronomists on the ground, or a Queensland uh, government group of people who can actually advise on those projects. I think that's where it would be better. I, I find it difficult to. I have found it difficult to actually uh, start those projects, because they are very specialized, you need to understand. Uh, and they are difficult to navigate from the perspective of, you know, PMAVs and vegetation types and what, what is actually a benefit, et cetera. So simplifying and helping people through funds or through, through you know, manpower to get into those projects, I think is what's needed for the reef. Sorry, that was a very long-winded question. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's that, that's 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 really good. And one of the one of the things that we're um, kind of working through at the moment is understanding how farmers can work together to kind of learn together, but also to you know to, to deliver those 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 impacts at scale. Um, and do you do you think that that's a, a another important piece of kind of 
helping farmers to learn and to, to execute. To... Totally, totally. It's um, uh, it's actually one of the reasons why I think that the the, the mutual is a is a fantastic idea, because I've got lots of experience on carbon farming and I can help a lot of people get into that. That's easy. But when I'm talking about biodiversity benefits, I'm not an agronomist. I would love to have an agronomist in the mutual that I can turn to and say, hey, help me get that project off the ground. Just the fact to have that network to exchange ideas um, in the same region because you know the vegetation here is different. But blue gum is actually called a forest red gum 200 kilometers from here. Um, so we, it's, it's things like that. What's a blue gum plant? What are the characteristics of a blue gum plant? How can you improve it? It's a very localized knowledge as well. So I think the farmer, the, the mutual can actually help a lot in creating that closed network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, that is nice what you just described because there, there's a there's a kind of an aggregation or infrastructure at kind of a national scale in terms of understanding just markets. But then at the very local context, you know, things like biodiversity by, by definition are so locally kind of specific to be able to, 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 exactly. to, to be able to have infrastructure that supports local groups that come together where there is a like some expertise as part of that group, whether it's, you know, finance or whether it's, carbon or whether it's you know the uh, agronomy yeah so I, I can see how that that works really well and that's certainly part of what what we kind of conceive is benefit mm. mutual and i'd love to know as well you mentioned financial which i think is, is important um also in terms of you know when you're trying to do a transaction on on environmental um, benefits how much is it worth you know, turn to anyone who is a cattle farmer. They're a cattle farmer. They, they have no idea what you know the a ten point improvement in the native vegetation condition. How how, how much is that worth? Uh, is it even because it takes time and effort to actually realize those things? And they're great. They're they're fantastic for the planet. But you know, we've got a big businesses to run as well. So knowing how much that is worth and whether it's worth doing. Would be, would be a great help as well. Just following that, that, that line of logic, what, what tools do you use currently or what, what's the, what, what are the processes you can use currently to kind of help to, 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 to understand the value of environmental outcomes? Um, well, the, the, my main go-to tool is accounting for nature. Yep. Um, and the index uh, rating, which I think is great in terms of measuring improvement and conditions. And it's, it's fantastic because it's, it's extremely flexible. You can apply it you know, to, to, the, uh, to the nth degree if you wanna have something which is really completely formal, um, you know, steel plated. Um, but you can also use it in a very different way if you just wanna know that your farm is improving and you don't want to base a transaction on it. So it's, it's very flexible, it's super complete. It, it can be adapted to any um, form of environment. Um, so that's my method. Uh, that's what I use in, in different forms. Um, but I, I don't have enough visibility on the markets at a national level, for example, to being, being able to monetize that. So I can measure it, I can control it, I can monitor it, I can manage it. But I'd love to have some help into monetizing it. Yeah. Okay. It's just in terms of the accounting. If that's, if that's, if that's one's goal, right? Because you yeah. can you can decide to do that just for the for the sake of it. But at least you would know oh, what what is the monetary value of it. I personally wouldn't necessarily monetize it more than what it costs me. But I don't even know if I can do that. So so for example. Uh, if, a, if the impact of, of your work on the property value, for example, might be, a, might be an interesting lens through that. So that's not necessarily monetizing it today, but it's being captured and it's accumulating in the value of your, your property. Correct. Correct. Yeah, well, there's certainly interest in that, 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 that from the property, um, we're seeing that in, you know, in the banks and also in the property value is that they're starting to move to understand that 
know, having, doing, whether it's car soil carbon or biodiversity projects on farm, they don't, you know, in, historically it was just viewed as a net negative and the world's moved on from there. The, the, and now they're, they're grappling with, well, what is the positive kind of, the positive impact, how do we go about valuing it? So you can see that that's, that's an emerging. Um, excellent. That is excellent because it'll, it'll provide an additional incentives for people to actually do it. Um, and to start on the journey of realizing that it's actually good for your productivity. Um, you know, everybody that I talk to, the first reaction is, oh, that costs a lot of money. Now it's shifting towards, well, we have to do it, but it still costs a lot of money. So when people realize that any of that, whether it's carbon farming or, you know, co-benefits or through increasing the value of your property or monetizing it directly, if you want to, um, uh, when people start realizing that it'll be, it'll be a big shift in how people actually do those projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, in terms of something, um, accounting for nature, did you find, um, in terms of accessibility, is, is there, are there things that um, need to be put in place in order to get the farmers to be able to kind of step into that? Or is it, is it actually a reasonably accessible tool off, out of the box, so to speak? Um, so I'd say definitely reasonably accessible. Um, it's not difficult. It's, it's common sense. By the same token, because as I said, it's quite rigorous. It's not, you know, something that you can read a leaflet on either. It's, it's specialized. Yep. Um, let me put it this way. It's specialized, but very, very accessible. Um, Sorry, what? Yeah, Christoph, just to follow that up, for most people won't have had the benefit of chatting to you or, or emailing with you. So I happen to know that as a farmer, you've educated yourself in environmental markets earlier than most. Maybe you could share with um, some of the people the sorts of certifications and, and work you had to educate yourself in, in order to be in a position to make educated decisions. Um, I think it's that's a good question. Well, I am um, accredited for accounting for nature, um, or, or it, which, as I said, is 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 specialised, and the training is long, and it's a formal training that you have to pay for and register, and and it's quite intense um, and unforgiving in terms of mistake. So it's a good training because that's the purpose of a training is not to give you an accreditation like yeah, it's worth nothing. Um, but as I said, it's it's accessible, it's it's rigorous, it's it's easy to use and flexible. So that was great. So that was one. Um, because our goal originally was to, and we are now carbon neutral, I'm also a climate active uh, registered consultant to to help people be carbon neutral. And I would actually engage every farmer to consider whether they want to be. Um, there is no market for it at the moment, which is, I think, a big flaw, uh, but there will be. Uh, and as you were saying, Rowan, the banks are starting to recognize the, you know, that there is value in, in sustainability credentials. I guess the market will start to recognize that there is value in producing food, which is carbon neutral, which is not the case yet for the beef, but it'll come. So I would engage a lot of people to, um, uh, to become climate active, to become carbon neutral. Hence, because that was our goal. And I wanted to check firsthand whether we could be carbon neutral. I also did the, the training and for um, carbon neutral uh, certification. And that was another thing. Uh, and then finally, to for more co-benefits, I also registered as a carbon advisor with Queensland Curita. I can't remember what it stands for now. Um, and the NRF, um, because of course, if there's a market at the moment for co-benefits in Queensland, it's the Land Restoration Fund. Um, so I wanted to understand firsthand what that meant and how to for myself and to help people get into that um, into that cognitive market. Um, Christoph, like uh, awesome that you've had such a broad education for farmers that 
or haven't educated themselves to that level, where in your region do they go? Like, have you got people queuing up at your door for, oh, have you got five minutes and it lasts for a couple of hours? Or are you sharing this with your NRM and you're sharing this with your land care group? Or how does your experience uh, <laughs> uh, that, 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 that is such a good question um and i'd say first because we started because i started such a long time ago there was really was the only way was to do it yourself but i wouldn't advise um necessarily anybody to actually go that that route because it takes a lot of time and as i said i was a consultant for a long time in different forms so that was natural to me but i don't yeah, it's, it's not probably for everyone. So to answer your question, I'm in touch with the our NRM group, um, which is my go-to um, sort of group for um, uh, for questions and contacts and etc. Yes, I've got a quite a bit of quite a, quite a queue uh, knocking at the door, um, but it's mostly informal contacts, uh, people who know. Uh, others, friends of friends, you know, neighbors of neighbors, and etc. It does take a lot of time, and that's at the moment that would be my um, a bit of a dilemma that I have in terms of spending my time. Um, and and but I I'd like to have a better network group, as I said before. The NRM is great, but it's not really its purpose to put like people in contact, although they've, they've, they're very good with it, no, no problem, but it's not really their group. So I'd love to have a way of having a better network and direct people and maybe more formally help them than a conversation. Um, I'd love to you know, roll up the sleeves and actually help people do a project rather than just direct them. Um, and that can only be through a more formal structure than informal relationship networks. Yeah, great. Um, I mean, that sits with a lot of experiences from leading farmers that we've spoken to as well is that, you know, they're not usually consultants or coaches or advisors, but they have got this information which is coming into vogue and people are approaching them. And the workload of that um, inbound um, inquiry is starting to affect their actual ability to do their, their, their farm operations. And um, it's kind of a good thing in that it shows that the market is growing, but I'm not sure that they're wanting to opt out of being farmers. And so creating a network that's fit for purpose and allows farmers to exchange peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, I think, is, is one of the freakishly good opportunities around the, the Regen Farmers Mutual. We have gone a bit off track, but I, I would like to try and um, understand better. So over the last 10 years through the um, practices avoided clearing and the soil carbon projects and um, how have you seen your land, uh, your natural asset base move? And have you got any data to, to verify those outcomes, or is it all subjective? Um, that's why I mentioned accounting for nature, because that was the intention. It was for me to actually um, put data behind it. Um, oh, just reading what's on the screen. Uh, we will make the farm carbon neutral. We're not formally um, uh, certified yet by Climate Active. We are, in effect, but not yet. Um, can't use can't use the logo yet. Um, so to come back to your question, uh, well, the only data that we have is that we're going to generate about you know three point eight tons of um, carbon credits per hectare per year um, over the carbon area, and that is good because it's the basis of that underpins us being carbon neutral. Um, in terms of the other co-benefits, we're, we're just starting to put them into place so we won't see the change before another, um, probably another three to four years. And that's one thing that actually I think is important for people to understand is that those things take a long time. 
it's funny because four four or five years ago in a flash you turn around and go oh yeah, that's it i've done it but don't think that you're going to be able to do anything in terms of environmental improvement in six months uh, and we live in a world now that's so used to oh yeah I'll, i'm going to do that in two months down the track now it, it actually takes years so we can see that the benefits will be there we can see that the benefits are going to be real um, I'm actually looking at them at the moment for the very few things that we've put in place. It's starting to show. Um, there's also counterfactual. Um, when we decided not to use fertilizer, for example, we said, oh, you know, how is the pasture going to be nutritious enough and how is the cattle going to fare? And actually, they're doing very well. Um, so we don't fertilizer than we used to. Um, there hasn't been a great drop in, in the past condition. Um, again, it's it's where we are. It's a type of grass that we have that allows to do that. If you stop fertilizing and you're hoping to grow, you know, grass, you know, 50 centimeter high and lush and green, no, that's going not going to work. So it's a complete package that you have to adopt, but it does work. Um, and Certainly, we haven't seen any loss of profitability at the farm at all, uh, and actually expect to improve it overall. There's a there's a great method that we that we're using or starting to use, but we're not registering formally for, which is the um, beef herd management method from the ERF, which is a great guide in itself to how you can reduce your capital footprint and, and improve your herd management. Uh, without necessarily registering it as a project. We tried to register it as a whole. So we looked at registering it as a project, but we were too small in terms of uh, scale for that. We wouldn't warrant the cost and the audits and, uh, and et cetera. So, yeah. just, just quickly, Christoph, what was the, the gap between um, scale, your scale and the scale required? So Enormous. I mean, it, it wouldn't... It, it, it's a method that um, has small incremental benefits, so uh, you wouldn't it wouldn't be benefit it wouldn't be worth the, uh, the costs below a thousand or fifteen hundred heads. So we would we're ten times too small, yeah. but that will be the case for a lot of people. Nevertheless, um, it's still worth doing because it still does reduce your your carbon footprint, um, but you just can't rely on it to absorb the costs of registering a project, auditing a project, etc. etc. Um, this might be a silly question, uh, but have you found you've had efficiencies of uh, application? So as you've gone through accounting for nature, it helped you become uh, climate active easier, or once you've done your avoided um, clearing you know the the different are you getting efficiencies from repetition or do you have to start from you know day dot again each time um, definitely definitely because those tools um, are the essential ones and um, they, 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 you use them on every project um, so there's familiarity first. Once you've done an ERF project, I, the first time the application is, what the hell's going on? I don't understand. Uh, but the second one's easy. The third one is a piece of cake. Um, so it's not interestingly difficult. It's just new. So there's definitely the economies of scale in terms of the repetition. The tools, again, are always the same. Accounting for nature, you can apply to so many different things. Um, carbon neutrality, I mean, a carbon inventory is a carbon inventory. Um, it's not that different. The figures are different. Uh, some things are different. You've got to be careful that you, you know, capture everything, but it's not massively different. So there's absolutely the economies um, of scale in doing multiple projects. Absolutely. So I guess that goes to one of the heart of the, the value proposition of the mutual and, and, and one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, um, it wasn't about data sensitivity, it was about your experiences with farmers and, um, and, and them cooperating. So 
at the heart of the mutual is two ideas. One that smaller farmers can get together and get scale, which helps them attract buyers who want to buy at a certain scale. And the other one is that, um, you know, they can share costs of registration and, and get peer-to-peer -peer learning from one another. But then you do hear um, in market that farmers are the least cooperative bunch of people on earth. <laughs> and I wanted to, um, you know, match that with your world experience. Are the farmers that you interact with uh, typically good at cooperating or do they lack the, 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 uh, the skills, tools, familiarity, resources with cooperating? <laughs> that is a that's an interesting question. I'd say are farmers good at cooperating? Hell no. Why? Not because they're not cooperative by nature, um, but it's lack of time. I mean, farming is pretty damn busy, um, and it's constant. Um, you know, cooperating you need to set some time, uh, some time aside. But very often something happened. Gosh, you know, the, the cattle broke the, broke the fence. I got to go. You got to go now. When something happens, it's now. So it's not an occupation because of business and because of the real-time nature of it that makes it easy. Um, uh, one of my neighbors, we are, you know, running a, um, starting a common project. And it's so hard to, to get some time together. Um, especially in summer where you're busy from five o'clock in the morning to, you know, seven at night, yeah. because it's a time of year to do it. It's a time of year where the, where the grass are growing, but unfortunately the weeds as well. So I think farmers are cooperative, very by nature, very, we help each other all the time. Hey, can I, can you give me a hand with that? Oh, I'm going to burn that paddock. Can you, can you come and, and, and give a hand? Can you lend me that? Do you have a, a you know, a mother for that calf that whose mother died? There's a lot of cooperation going on, um, but it's the nature of the job that prevents it from happening. If it's not core business, it'll be hard to find time. Thank you. Um, that, that, that puts farmers as extremely busy and not socially awkward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, all right. And uh, my other question, uh, Christoph, and I'm aware that time's marched on and you've been very generous, is, I mean, a lot of reticence exists in the market about um, environmental uh, income streams, whether they're green finance or green provenance into your crops or carbon or biodiversity, because a lot of farmers um, are anxious, I believe, about um, getting into a market where it doesn't leave the farm. So you grow a ton of wheat, you sell a ton of wheat, it's left the farmers a ton of wheat, you're going to get paid. You understand that transaction. In environmental markets, nothing's leaving the farm and people aren't actually buying the koala in the tree or the tree in the paddock. They're not, it's not leaving the farm. It's only being paid for because the people who buy it believe that it's on the farm and it has a verifiable um so how much of a barrier was that technology for yourself personally moving to that level of record management and digital uh record management and how much of a barrier do you see the tech barrier being uh alongside the barrier of just moving to practices that are regenerative and and, and moving the needle on carbon and biodiversity uh, I have two really good questions. The first one is about the technology is, um, is, is true. And it seems odd at first to say, I'm going to have to formally record on a system, a piece of land that I know so well. Um, and sometimes, you know, you're looking at satellite imagery and you go, no, 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 this is not at all how it is. You know, the reality of the, on the ground is sometimes different or more granular than what you have in digital tools. And reconciling the two is sometimes hard. You go, why would I need to put, you know, that tree in the paddock? I know it's there. I can see it. I see it every day. So the 
necessity of, of digital tools is not obvious. And to be fair, so far they, they do exist, but they've been very fragmented and difficult to get to. That's another thing that, you know, when we were talking about training and educating yourself, the amount of information that's freely available, um, especially in Queensland, I can't talk really about the other states, but in Queensland, the government has a ton of information available, you know, from satellite imagery records, you name it, it's all available, but it's pretty hard to piece together. There's millions of different systems that are not necessarily user-friendly. Um, so from the motivation to do it, why would I, you know, look at it from the sky when I can go among my trees every day um, to the simplicity of using it, it's hard. Now, I believe the technology is changing very fast. You've got tools like FarmLab, for example, which is dead easy to use, very simple, very useful, centralizes a lot of things. Um, not everything, but centralizes a hell of a lot of things uh, and is so user-friendly. So that is changing. Uh, it won't necessarily remove the motivation. People will go, why the hell do I need to put my, you know, my data in a digital format? Um, but that's inevitable. And after a while, you realize also it's a lot easier sometimes to look at that. And there are things like, you know, uh, radioscope, radiometry data that you can't just look at the ground. So there's a lot of reasons to do it. It'll, the tools are coming and are becoming easier. So that'll pass. Um, and, the, and the quicker the technology becomes and the better the technology becomes, the, the better, by the way. Um, I, I, I can't wait until I can have, you know, an estimation of my solar carbon from, you know, radioscope, radiometry, uh, rather than having to send a big truck drill holes in my paddock. Um, that's not quite there yet, but it'll, it'll be there. It may, it'll make such a big difference. Um, and and you, is that around um, cost or, or time to take the sampling? So, or what's the big uh, sigh of relief that you'll breathe when radiometry is in place of soil cores? What will you do? Well, I mean, what, why is that such a, a relief? Is it the cost burden, the time burden? Yeah. All of the above. Uh, the cost burden is, is significant, especially at small scale again, but even at scale because you know, the method that the steel requires you to do, well, the old but the new steel, to do quite a bit of, um, of sampling. And justifiably so, I just don't want to get into a world where the, the rigor and the, and the credibility of uh, those things are reduced. So it has to be until it's, it's proven. Um, but it's still a big burden financially, logistically. Uh, you know, when I was, I was trying to organize that last September and then it started raining. So, two weeks too too buggy to to send a truck i had to cancel the, the literally the night before the truck so the truck operator understood but yeah not happy of course um and all things like that so it's time logistics costs it's a bit of a burden thank so you to come back to your original question yeah, no, about the, the the other aspect of resistance Mm. Ah, that's going to be hard because there's a big resistance into there's such a feeling of scrutiny when you're a farmer um, and it's your place it's your backyard I'll tell you a story about that and it's private it's your home and it's a, it's a bit like you, you're selling your chair in your lounge room and, and you can't touch it. It belongs to somebody else. It's really, really an interesting feeling that's hard to understand until you've experienced it. Uh, one day here, um, to, to, just to try to exemplify that uh, feeling, one day we were here and somebody who was doing the Great National Trail, you know, 10Ks from here, got lost and basically he ended up in our backyard. Um, and it was, it was such a shock. And we were like, what are you doing here? And then we realized that we were, be, we were being defensive for nothing. The guy was lost his way and just was happy to find us to put him back on his, on his way. But the, the thing is, and it was like, oh, sorry, I didn't realize it was such an, an intrusion. And we said, yeah, absolutely sorry. Imagine it was you're having dinner, you're in front of the television and somebody, somebody opens the door from the balcony and comes into your laundry room and says, oh, can you tell me where the nearest road is? 
It was just that much of a shock because even into the big place, it's still you all back here. So all a long way to say that feeling and that you know feeling of do I want people to look into my backyard is there is real will change um, but it's a it's a real obstacle it is a real I, I feel this way and I know a lot of people who feel even more strongly about it. it makes sense to me I can I can feel it how how far how far off the trail was he <laughs> was he it was. It was. Quite a bit. I understand because <laughs> the way the trail is, there's one place, at one point in time, there's a thing that forks <laughs> to our place. Um, he was probably a good, solid seven k's <laughs> off his way. So, he was glad we put him back back on the right track. <laughs> Uh, Christoph, you've been so generous with your time. I, I'm going to hand over to Rowan for the last uh, question, if he has one, and otherwise just thank you for, very much for your time and what you've shared with us. Uh, Rowan, not a problem. Christoph. Oh, I don't have a final question, damn it. We, we should work on one of them. Yeah, like, I think so. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Say hi to your mum. The, the, the surprise question at the, at the last uh, I, I remember that Rove McManus made a, 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 a format of asking people on his show 10 quick questions. And the last one was, you know, who would you turn uh, gay for? And you had politicians and, uh, and, you know, it made people so awkward. And then he just did it with such a cheeky <laughs> smile and he went, say hello to your mum for me. And, and then smiled, <laughs> you know? But really he just put like a Costello or Howard or someone like that right in, right in the hot seat. Yeah. Uh, so we definitely need to work on one of them, Rowan. Um, no, you do. <laughs> Christoph, Rowan, thank you both for your time today. Uh, for any of those who've been watching on, enjoying this conversation, this is the first of what we hope will be weekly conversations with our membership and, and network of Regen Farmers Mutual. Thank you so much for your time, Christoph, and for sharing your wisdom and learning with us. No worries, Christoph. Thanks a lot, guys. See ya.